All right, the rest of you, why don't you open your Bibles up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, that's where we will be continuing today. Let me pray for us again. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to hear from you today. Speak to us, Father, through your word. Help us, Father, to learn how we can experience your peace in our lives, a peace that passes all human understanding. Bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we began our study of the last chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I mentioned that Paul knew that his brothers and sisters in Christ were under attack. They were under attack from unbelievers, from the world system, from Satan and his minions, and even from their own fleshly lusts. And I reminded you that Jesus had warned, in the world you will have tribulation, John 16, 33. And Paul had echoed Jesus' warning when he said, quote, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14, 22. And later he wrote to Timothy, quote, indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy 3.12. As we know, Paul himself had experienced these things firsthand. In fact, remember, he's writing this letter while chained to a Roman soldier under house arrest in Rome, awaiting his trial as a follower of Jesus Christ. Earlier in this very letter, Paul had written these words to them. Philippians 1, 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. So not only has it been granted for us to believe in Christ, but it's been granted to us to suffer for the sake of Christ, engaged in the same conflict that you saw and now hear that I still had. Philippians 1, 29 and 30. So Paul knows and understands the challenges that they are facing living for Christ in this dark, sin-filled world. Now, near the close of his letter to them, he wants them to know how they can experience the peace that comes from God in spite of the circumstances of their lives. He wants them to experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and which will deliver them from all anxiety. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of our text I'm going to be reading Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. This is God's word to us. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. We are so very blessed to be able to read what the Holy Spirit moved Paul to write regarding an antidote to the anxiety that so often disrupts our lives and derives us of peace. Paul's antidote for the stress and anxieties that we experience in this life contains five important ingredients. First, rejoicing. Second, graciousness. Third, prayer. Fourth, pondering. And fifth, practicing. Together, these five things cause us to focus upon our great God and Savior and on the grace that He has shown to us. Make no mistake. God is the source of peace for us. So Paul starts with the command to rejoice in the Lord. Now as we know, joy is interwoven like a golden thread throughout this letter written from prison. Paul prays with joy over his Philippian brothers. He's filled with joy when others preach about Jesus. Even if he is to be executed, he rejoices and wants his friends to rejoice. And now he explicitly states that Christians can and must rejoice in the Lord. And do so, note this, always, under all circumstances. And this is possible because our joy is not rooted in the things of this world. Our joy is rooted in the Lord. Our joy is rooted in who He is and in what He has done for us. None of which is dependent upon our circumstances. No matter what our circumstances, it doesn't change who our Lord is and what He has done for us. Listen to how the prophet Habakkuk describes this joy. Reading from Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk basically says, if everything in my life goes wrong, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, it's human nature to link our happiness with the things of this world. Food to eat, a nice place to live, money in the bank, a good job, a healthy retirement account. But all of these things are temporary. And as we know, they can change at a moment's notice. But God's love for us never changes. He is the God of my salvation. And that, my friends, is eternal, complete in Christ. So rejoicing in the Lord does not mean that we will never experience sadness or grief. Jesus wept on several occasions, and so did Paul. Biblical joy is compatible with the whole spectrum of emotions that we will experience living in this fallen, sin-filled world. It does not change the joy that we find in Christ. Pastor Tim Keller, who just died a couple of days ago, wrote this, quote, Rejoicing in the Bible, is much deeper than simply being happy about something. So the word rejoice, found in Scripture, is much deeper than just being happy about something. Paul directed that we should rejoice in the Lord always, but this cannot mean always feel happy, since no one can command someone to feel a particular emotion. To rejoice is to treasure something to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until your heart rests in Him and relaxes its grip on anything else that it thinks it needs. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't get it the first time, again I say, Rejoice. So to rejoice in the Lord is to resist the instinct to focus on visible pleasures or problems. It is to fix our mind and heart on treasuring the Lord Jesus Christ. To focus on His majesty, His mercy, His purity, His power. To focus on His excellency above all else. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Paul's next instruction is found in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, the Greek word here could also be translated as gentleness or graciousness, which is what I prefer. Graciousness. This term refers to the calm 
and kind disposition that enables a person to offer a nonviolent or even generous response to others' aggression against them. Paul is here commanding Christians, note this, to be gracious towards those who hate and persecute us. Now that is not our natural human nature. It is not our nature to be gracious towards those who are causing us trouble. But Christians are to display gracious kindness to everyone. Note that, everyone, including those who are making our lives difficult. Remember, we are children of a father who sends sunshine and rain on the just and the unjust. Is God gracious towards all? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? If I were God, we would not have gotten all of our reservoirs filled over the winter. If I were God, I'd be punishing the state of California. Good thing I'm not. But not only is he gracious towards all, listen to me. We, you and I, are recipients of a salvation that came by the Son of God loving us and dying for us while we were yet sinners, while we were his enemies. So just as Jesus extended grace, Christians should extend grace and kindness rather than retaliating against those who harass and oppress us. And Paul clinches this command with the phrase, the Lord is at hand. Now, this brief statement can be interpreted in two ways. It may refer to the nearness of the second coming of Christ. Remember, earlier in this letter, Paul had reminded them that we await the future appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. And because our coming Lord will transform us and give us a joy beyond what we can even imagine, we can then be gracious towards others knowing that his return is soon, knowing that our reward is at hand, so to speak. On the other hand, Paul may intend us to understand, quote, the Lord is at hand as an assurance of Christ being with us even now. That he is with us through whatever we must face, through the indwelling presence of his Spirit. Psalm 34 18 tells us that, quote, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So Paul may be motivating our gentleness by assuring us that even now, when we are in difficult circumstances, we are not alone. Or Paul may have intended the Lord is at hand to convey both of those truths. The Lord is with us now. He is near to us now by His Spirit bringing grace and comfort in our sufferings. And He is coming soon in His glory bringing all of our sufferings 
to an end. Remember, Paul describes our current sufferings as momentary, light afflictions when we compare them to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. Amen? So, no lashing out at those who cause us trouble. Just as Jesus did not lash out even at those who were torturing him and crucifying him. Instead, rejoice. Be gracious. And the next ingredient to experiencing God's peace is prayer. One of the most familiar passages in the Bible. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me again. Do not be anxious about anything. That's easy, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul here encourages us To come to God, not with grumbling or complaining, but with thanksgiving and expectant petitions. Paul says we need not be anxious about anything because we're able to bring everything, our prayers, supplications, and requests directly to God. Let's remember that. Our Heavenly Father is all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing. And He has adopted us as His children by His mercy, grace, and steadfast love. And He loves to hear our prayers. We make our requests known to Him, not because He would be ignorant of them unless we informed Him, but rather because speaking them to Him expresses our dependence and our trust that He cares for us perfectly and that He delights to hear our prayers. Some of us who are older in this room live separated from our children and what a joy When the phone rings, you look down, and it's one of your children calling you. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never looked at that phone and thought to myself, oh, are you kidding me? I don't want to talk to them. No. No, it's just the opposite. No matter what I am doing at that moment, no matter what, I'm going to answer that call. Because we love our children. Our Heavenly Father loves us that much that every single time we pray to Him, 
He takes joy in that. And notice that Paul instructs them, and through them he's instructing us, make no mistake, to include thanksgiving as an essential element of their prayers. Gratitude towards God keeps our prayers from becoming simply a list of our self-focused needs. But it does more than that. Thanksgiving is a proper response to a generous gift such as we have received from our Heavenly Father. You know, if we were to ask Paul for the reasons to give thanks to God, no doubt he could list them for hours. Our Bibles aren't big enough to contain all the reasons for us to give thanks to God. Amen? Think about it. Don't tell me, Pastor, when I'm praying, I just can't think of anything to be thankful to God for. Come on. But if we were to ask Paul, what is the very best gift that God has ever given to you? I know how he would respond. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gift of God's son goes beyond all other gifts and it visibly demonstrates God's great love for us. As did the son's gift of eternal life to us through his substitutionary sacrifice through his death, burial, and resurrection. Securing salvation, securing righteousness and eternal life for us. But it doesn't stop there. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 8.32 these words. He who did not spare his own son, speaking of God the Father. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, Paul acknowledges the greatest gift of the Father was the gift of the Son, who willingly died in our place, taking our sins upon himself on the cross. But Paul says, listen. If the Father is willing to give you His Son, will He not be willing to give you whatever you need? And indeed, the answer is yes. Yes. The list of our prayer needs seems endless, but not as endless as our list of all the blessings that we can give God thanks for. This gift of coming to our Heavenly Father with our prayers and with thanksgiving is an antidote to anxiety. Gratitude, giving thanks, changes our perspective. As we trust 
in the one who created us and recreated us in his son, we will be relieved of anxiety and it will be replaced with the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding. That peace, the peace of God, according to Paul, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but my heart and my mind need to be guarded from anxiety, from fear, from worry. And it is the peace of God that can do that. The word that Paul uses here, translated will guard, is a military term. It's used of soldiers on guard duty. Just as soldiers will guard their post or guard a city, so God guards and protects those who put their trust in Him. Paul's use of the phrase hearts and minds makes reference to both our thoughts and our emotions. By our trusting in God to supply all of our needs, He will respond by guarding us from anxiety, from fear and worry. We can cast all of our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. Amen? He is the source of true peace in any and all circumstances. And if we're going to be honest, we've experienced this at times in our life. When things seem to be devastating, and yet God gave us peace. The next command for us to follow, to experience God's peace, is for us to ponder the character of God. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, there's only one thing that meets all those criteria, and that's God Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul is calling all Christians to meditate or ponder upon the excellencies of Christ and His character, to fill our mind with the thoughts of Christ. The verb translated, think about these things, is an imperative. You know what that means? It's a command. This is not optional. Paul is commanding Christians to dwell upon, to meditate upon, or to ponder Christ and His character. Now, Scripture leaves no doubt that our lives are a product of our thoughts. It is what we fill our minds with that will then determine our character and our behaviors. You know this is true. If you spend hours every day watching news programs or talk shows or on social media where you are being bombarded with everything that's wrong in this world, it's going to affect you. Surprise! 
People's lives are a product of their thoughts. Back when I was taking computer programming at the JC many moons ago, so many moons ago that the computer was bigger than this room, and we programmed it using punch cards. For you young people, I'll explain that afterwards. We had a saying, garbage in, garbage out, right? And that was true. The computer program would only work as well as what you put into it, okay? The same thing's true in our lives, folks. You keep putting the garbage in, and the garbage is going to come out. It's going to come out in your thoughts. It's going to come out in your speech. It's going to come out in your actions. Garbage in, garbage out. So we want to put in the excellencies of Christ. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Colossians. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So it starts with the if. If then you've been raised with Christ. This is for believers. This is for Christians, those who have been born again. Set your mind on the things above. Where do we find out about the things above? Right here, God's holy word, where God reveals to us the things above, the things about him and his character. Set your mind on things that are above. If we want to experience the peace of God, then we must fill our thoughts with the excellencies of Christ, not with the things of this world. Paul then wrote to the Romans in Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Why? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Peace comes from not setting our mind on the things of this world. There is no peace in this world. There is no peace in the things of this world. The peace comes from setting our minds on Christ. So Paul wants believers to think upon those things that come from above. To ponder, to meditate upon these things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. And we find such things in the Word of God, in the person of Christ, and in the lives of those who follow after Christ. And make no mistake, thinking on these things will bring us peace. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 26.3, wrote these words. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you 
and whose thoughts are fixed on you. Speaking of God, God will keep in perfect peace, not just, you know, a little peace, perfect peace, all who trust in Him and whose thoughts are fixed on Him. That's where peace comes from. Only those who continually fix their thoughts upon God can expect to experience perfect peace. Can we fix our thoughts on God even when we're living in a sinful world? Yes. Paul's writing this from prison. And what do we see in his life? Perfect peace. In the next verse, Paul moves from thinking to action. He calls us to put into practice what we have learned. Look at verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What they had seen and heard in Paul was the fruit of God's grace. The fruit of the Spirit of God in action. Remember, the believers in Philippi had seen Paul suffer for Christ in the past while he was with them. And now they heard of his sufferings from a distance. And what they saw and heard was a man who was at peace with God through Jesus Christ and who had the peace of God no matter what his circumstances. So he was at peace with God because he had trusted in Christ for his salvation. But he also lived having the peace of God. Paul had shown them how faith in Christ works out in practice, in the midst of the trials of this life. Just as Christ captured Paul's heart through his great love, he also captured Paul's mind and therefore was empowering him to live for Christ and to face even death as nothing to fear. What the Philippians saw and heard in Paul was the transforming, sanctifying power of Christ. And Paul wants them to experience the same transformation by following his example. And I know that's what God wants for you and I as well. So Paul sets the example for how pondering Christ's perfections progresses on to practicing them in our daily living. Fixing our mind on Jesus will ignite the fire of our will and motivation so that we will be eager to express our love for Him by sacrificing and by serving and loving others. God's Spirit conforms our desires to those of Christ so that we are no longer preoccupied with ourselves, with our safety, with our rights, with our future, and we're no longer paralyzed by anxiety. As trusting children, we learn to trust 
our wise and all-powerful Heavenly Father. We trust Him to deal with all of the factors that are beyond our control. And we are set free from the burden of protecting ourselves. And we follow Paul's example of living for Christ and in living as servants for Christ. And we will experience the peace that comes from God as a result. No matter what our circumstances. But not only do we experience the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding, but we also know that the God of peace is with us at all times and in all circumstances through His Spirit who dwells within us. The peace of God guards our hearts because the God of peace is with us. What a blessing this is. No matter what we face, God is with us. He will never leave us. Remember Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You might say that Jesus is in the boat with us. Remember when the disciples were caught in that storm on the Sea of Galilee? Where was Jesus? Asleep. Asleep in the boat. The winds are howling. The waves are lapping up over the side of the boat. Some of these men were fishermen. They knew what they were facing. They knew that when the Sea of Galilee became turbulent like this, you better not be in a boat, especially not a small boat. And Jesus is sleeping. They're scared for their lives. And Jesus is sleeping. So they wake him up. Master, Master, we're all going to die. Jesus is like, where's your faith? Speaks a word, calms the storm. I bet they never forgot that. So you and I can experience the peace of God if we follow the instructions given by Paul to the Christians at Philippi. He gives us instructions here on how to experience God's peace. Rejoice in the Lord. Be gracious to everyone. Pray with thanksgiving. Ponder the excellencies of Christ and then practice what we've learned from the Word of God. And the result? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.